You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, we're sitting down with Dr. Marshall Glesby to talk about an emerging issue in medicine, monkeypox. Marshall is the Regional Clinical Director for NECA AATC and Associate Chief of the Division of Infectious Diseases and Director of the HIV Clinical Trials Unit at Wild Cornell Medicine. Thanks so much for being here for this special edition episode, Marshall. It's great to be here. Thanks, Mariana. So, Marshall, let's get started. Is monkeypox a new virus? Yeah, great question. It actually is not a new virus. It was first described in 1958. It was identified in Asian monkeys and uh, related species, rhesus macaques, hence the name monkeypox, uh, and found in an animal facility in Denmark. And um, the first human case that was reported and uh, described was in 1970 in a nine-month-old boy living in the Democratic Republic of uh, Congo who um, acquired this infection, presumably from contact with uh, one of these animals, uh, and was recovering from it, but unfortunately succumbed to measles infection. The virus itself then became endemic in Africa, and um, so there's you know, been some ongoing cases there. But uh, elsewhere, there, there have been you know, sporadic cases reported, um, usually associated with international travel or imported animals. So for example, in the United States in 2003, there were actually uh, 47 confirmed and probable cases in six states that were linked to actually pet prairie dogs that had been housed with African rodents and people who had um, uh, acquired the infection from uh, these prairie dogs. The virus itself um, is a cousin in the same family, really, the orthopox virus family of the variola virus, which uh, causes smallpox, which fortunately you know, has been eliminated. Uh, and also the, uh, in that family is a vaccinia virus, which is used for the smallpox vaccine uh, and cowpox. The monkeypox you know, name is unfortunately uh, not a great name. There's apparently some movement by the WHO to rename it because of concern about stigma associated with it. But for now, that's, that's what we're calling it. So how extensive is this current outbreak? Well, the estimates by the WHO and the CDC are that there are over 4,300 cases as of uh, June 28th, 2022, in 48 countries throughout the world. In the U.S., 
Uh, the number of confirmed cases is about 351 as of, of that date. Uh, people you know, believe that this is an, a gross underestimate and that's because it's been challenging to access testing and there's probably also a lot of uh, lack of recognition, lack of uh, or underdiagnosis, or a lot of things that can mimic uh, this infection. It's been predominantly in men who have sex with men uh, in this current outbreak, you know, throughout the world. Uh, although not for anything intrinsically related to that population, it just seems that it originated. Uh, the current outbreak originated in that group, and then because of contacts, uh, sexual networks, et cetera, it seems to be spreading mostly within that uh, population, although we would expect that it's likely to uh, broaden in terms of the epidemiology to other populations. Can you talk a little bit about how the virus is transmitted? Sure. Uh, it's really thought to be generally direct contact with the lesions or possibly body fluids, so really person-to-person -person contact. It's, this is um, you know, different from COVID. There may be um, uh, the possibility of people indirectly being in contact uh, with the virus through what we call fomites. So things like sheets, clothing, towels that have been in contact with a person's lesions may have virus on them and could be a source of transmission. To our knowledge, there's just been one case report uh, in a healthcare worker, and that was somebody in the United Kingdom uh, in the past who uh, was apparently changing bedding in a hospital room. And um, uh, it was actually thought this person acquired the infection through respiratory transmission. Uh, and uh, they were agitating the linens apparently. And it was thought that some of the virus uh, got into the air and they breathed it in. But this mode of transmission is thought to be rare. Uh, the virus may be present in respiratory secretions or respiratory droplets. And certainly if there's prolonged face-to-face encounters or intimate physical contact like kissing uh, or, or during sex, there may be a potential for transmission by that route, but it's not thought to be contagious the way COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 is uh, through the respiratory route. There may be transplacental transmission from mother to baby um, and also potentially, you know, uh, as I alluded to with the uh, prairie dogs, infected animals who scratch or bite a person uh, could be a source of transmission or people who are preparing or eating meat from an infected animal, which we wouldn't expect it, you know, to happen in this country. The spread itself is at this point is thought to be um, uh, really during uh, or the transmissibility during uh, the time that, of onset of symptoms. So either uh, the prodrome that we'll talk about where people may have symptoms before the development of the rash or once the rash appears that they haven't had a, a, a prodrome until the time that the rash is fully healed and a new layer of skin has formed over the sites of the lesions. This can take a while. The illness is thought to potentially take two to four weeks. So it's possible that a person could be transmissible, you know, a source contagious. Uh, so what I'm looking for, person could be contagious uh, for up to four weeks after the onset of illness. And really we base it on the time that the lesions have uh, fully healed. The current dogma from the CDC is that people who don't have monkeypox symptoms are not able to spread the virus to others, but stay tuned just in case that language needs to be revised. And um, the other aspect of it is it's not known at this point whether uh, the virus can be spread through semen or vaginal fluids or whether it's just the intimate contact with um, skin or, or mucosal surfaces with lesions that is resulting in transmission. 
What symptoms do those with monkeypox infection present? Yeah, well, the, first, just to note that the incubation period, uh, according to the CDC, is between five and 21 days. Uh, so once a person does develop symptoms, classically, uh, things started with a prodrome, so viral-like illness where they would have uh, fevers, chills, headache, swollen glands, uh, malaise, uh, myalgias, or muscle aches. And then typically, one to three days later, the rash would develop and classically would start on the face and then spread to the limbs, uh, to, often involving the palms and soles of the feet. And the rash itself has been described as firm, deep-seated, well-circumscribed lesions. They are sometimes umbilicated. Um, and um, so in that sense can resemble something like molluscum contagiosum, something we've, uh, people who are taking care of people with, with AIDS uh, may be familiar with. Um, if you'd like to see photos of what the rash looks like, there's some great photos uh, on the CDC website and you can see the, uh, find the link to that or to our AGC website in the podcast uh, description. The lesions classically were, were synchronous, meaning that they would all be sort of in the same stage of development and appear at the same time in different sites of the body and often painful. But the current outbreak, there have been actually some atypical features that have been noted. First, the prodrome uh, may or may not be there, or, and if it is there, it may be mild or even appear after the rash, which again differs from the classical presentation in, in textbooks. And uh, what we've seen uh, in this current outbreak is that often the lesions are in the anogenital region or, or oral lesions. Proctitis can be the initial manifestation, so it can easily be uh, mistaken for uh, a classic sexually tra transmitted infection like gonorrhea or chlamydia. And um, those certainly are in the differential diagnosis as with herpes simplex virus. So it's important if people are being evaluated, men of sex with men in particular at this point, for those types of uh, infections to consider monkeypox in the differential diagnosis. The lesions themselves uh, can be scattered throughout the body or in a specific body area. They may not be disseminated and um, the face and limbs may not be involved. And typically the lesions will be at the site of initial exposure. And it's also been noted that um, with the, the current outbreak, the lesions have not always been synchronous. So that, in other words, they may be in different stages uh, something we're more used to with, with other types of infections like, like varicella, chickenpox. The um, monkeypox itself uh, is usually mild. In the several thousand cases reported to the WHO, there's thought to be only one fatality so far, which seems to be a lower uh, case fatality rate than what's been reported uh, generally in Africa. So there may be something different about this outbreak or potentially its access to care uh, that differs and um, but there you know, certainly can be complications that clinicians should be aware of. It can include uh, pneumonitis, encephalitis, involvement of the brain, involvement of the eyes, such as keratitis. People can self-inoculate uh, their eyes if they have you know, lesions on, on their hands, for example. There can be secondary bacterial infections. And then one of the big concerns, since there's a lot of uh, anal genital involvement seemingly in this outbreak, is that people uh, may develop strictures in those anatomic sites from scarring during the healing process. So you mentioned that it may be hard to diagnose. What can you tell listeners about testing for monkeypox? Well, with apologies to, the, uh, to sort of the New York centricity of this, or I'll talk about New Jersey briefly as well, but 
uh, in New York State, there's really only two labs at this point, the New York City Public Health Lab and the Wadsworth Lab uh, that's affiliated with the health department that can do the PCR tests from lesions. And the way the testing is done, uh, these labs will do a test for the orthopox virus family in general, and then determine that it is not smallpox or variola. And then if that's the case, then the assumption is that it is monkeypox. And then they'll send a sample to the CDC uh, where they can do a confirmatory test specifically for monkeypox. At this point, you know, again, we're, we're at the end of June now, uh, very limited capacity uh, at these labs and testing does require uh, in New York, the Department of Health's approval. In New Jersey, the Department of Health's Public Health and Environmental Laboratories uh, uh, does testing and they also, the health department there would need to approve testing prior to submitting samples. Uh, there are a, a handful of commercial labs in the US that uh, will be getting kits if they haven't already from the CDC uh, in the next few weeks. I, I did hear on a webinar yesterday that LabCorp uh, may have the test up and running now. So that's something that uh, certainly people could look into. So there is uh, a plan to expand the capacity uh, for testing and certainly people who have access to hospital-based labs. I know that there are some labs that are trying to develop their own tests in-house that, that need, to, need to be validated and then potentially uh, you know, be other ways of, of people getting access to testing. What kind of treatment is available for monkeypox at this time? Well, there are no FDA-approved treatments, but because monkeypox and smallpox viruses are genetically similar, uh, the CDC is providing access to certain treatments uh, that have been approved for smallpox through something called the animal rule, which uh, means that obviously there hasn't been smallpox around for many decades, but they've tested these drugs in people or some of the drugs have been used for other indications in people and then have tested them also in an animal model of uh, orthopox virus infections and determined that the drugs have activity. So um, just before getting into the specific drugs, just to touch on uh, who would be potentially recommended for treatment at this point. And so it's not everybody and it's in part because we don't really know necessarily uh, that, that uh, anything about the efficacy of these treatments and also whether there would be any point in treating someone with mild manifestations. So it's really people with more severe manifestations that have been uh, prioritized for treatment. So this might include confluent skin lesions or hemorrhagic lesions, sepsis, which could be potentially a complication, encephalitis, or just being hospitalized uh, for the uh, infection. A concerning infection at a concerning anatomic site, including the eyes, mouth, anal area, or genital regions, or complications like secondary bacterial infections, gastrointestinal tract involvement that could manifest as severe nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea, or bronchopneumonia, or just people who are at high risk or thought to be at least at high risk for severe disease. So this would include people who are immunocompromised. And this uh, could include people with advanced HIV disease or AIDS or people with uncontrolled HIV infection, probably somebody with well-controlled HIV infection uh, and a good CD4 count would not necessarily need to be treated barring any other complications or, or concerning anatomic areas. Certainly other immunocompromised states, uh, children, particularly those under age eight, people who have skin uh, conditions that might predispose to dissemination of the infection, including atopic dermatitis or active exfoliative skin lesions, eczema, burns, uh, 
varicella zoster virus, herpes simplex virus, severe acne, psoriasis, uh, women who are, or people who are pregnant or breastfeeding. And, uh, and these are really, you know, uh, what I just listed is essentially from the CDC website and then subject to modification, you know, as we learn more. The, in terms of the specific treatments, uh, the one that's gotten the most attention is something called tecoviramat, brand name TPOX. It's available orally or intravenously, and it is FDA approved, again, by this animal rule for smallpox. So because uh, it's only available through um, the national stockpile, and uh, it, it's, it's really not something that people can just prescribe and get at a, a local pharmacy at this point. The uh, CDC does have an expanded access program. It's a little bit onerous at this point, to be frank, uh, to access through that and, and uh, implement this program. There are you know, certainly some sites, I know in the New York City that are um, have implemented this and presumably in other regions as well. The hope is uh, that at some point it uh, will be available just to be prescribed uh, what's needed for that to happen is that the Department of Health and Human Services has to declare monkeypox to be uh, a national emergency, and then that would permit potentially granting of an emergency use authorization by the FDA, which would allow physicians to prescribe it. But right now, it cannot be prescribed, you know, even just off-label, even though it is FDA approved, because of this issue of accessing it through the national stockpile. So uh, there are other potential drugs that, um, again, not uh, necessarily so easily accessible, but cidofavir, which is a FDA-approved drug for cytomegalovirus retinitis in people with AIDS. So some of those old-timers have experience with using this drug. It has potential for some renal toxicity, and uh, it's not necessarily um, uh, a simple drug to administer, but uh, it is effective uh, in the test tube and in animal models against viruses in the orthopox virus family. So the CDC does have an expanded access program and has stockpiled cytofavir and it is potentially could be available for monkeypox. I think this would probably not be a preferred treatment at this point. And then there's a related drug, brincytofavir, which is what we call a prodrug, gets converted into cytofavir in the body. It is also FDA approved for smallpox. And um, the CDC uh, apparently is developing an expanded access program for this drug as well. But for now, the, the um, preferred drug would be tecoviramat or, or TPOX. I heard that there's a vaccine available for monkeypox. So can you tell us about who can get it and whether it's being widely used? Sure. Well, there's actually two vaccines that are theoretically available. The first one I'll just touch on briefly because it's really not uh, you know, likely to be used uh, widely, if at all. It's called ACAM2000. It's a live vaccinia virus, and it's administered similar to the way that uh, the smallpox vaccine had been administered, which is inoculating uh, the virus into the skin by pricking the skin surface. It's called scarification, and it's the special bifurcated needle that's used. You know, you do require some training to be able to do this. So it's not something that I think would be easily implementable uh, in a widespread fashion without significant training. And then if a person is successfully inoculated, then there's something called a take that has to, to be seen, which is a lesion at the site of vaccination. And then it's really virus that grows at this site of inoculation at this lesion 
that spreads to other parts of the body and uh, generates an immune response. So because of that, and it is a live virus, people who are vaccinated this way have to take precautions to prevent spread to other people for um, about 28 days. And um, they're considered vaccinated at that point. There's a, a different vaccine, which is the one that is, is being uh, starting to be administered, although uh, it's been in limited supply, uh, called Genios, J-Y-N-N-E-O-S is the brand name. And it's administered also as a live virus, but it doesn't replicate unlike the, the other vaccine that I mentioned. So it's given as uh, similar to some of the COVID vaccines to subcutaneous injections. Well, the four weeks apart part, I guess, is similar. This is given subcutaneously, not intramuscularly. So two doses, four weeks apart. And someone would not be considered to be fully vaccinated until two weeks after their second dose. So who should get this or who could get this? Uh, I think that's uh, a work in progress. And again, subject to change. Uh, I'm speaking to you today, June 29th, 2022. So uh, you know, keep an eye on potential changes to eligibility. The Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, or ACIP, says that clinical lab personnel who are performing testing for orthopox viruses or research lab personnel who are directly handling these types of viruses are candidates for immunization. And then certain healthcare and public health response team members that are designated by public health authorities to be vaccinated for preparedness purposes or potentially people who are in um, you know, contact with a lot of people with monkeypox at this point. I will say that the New York State Department of Health is not recommending it for healthcare workers at this point, even those seeing people with monkeypox, but uh, that's certainly subject to change. Uh, per the CDC, they rec uh, the, you know, this vaccine can also be given as post-exposure prophylaxis, and that should be given within four days from the date of exposure in order to prevent the onset of disease, or if it's given between four and 14 days after the date of exposure, then the vaccine may reduce the symptoms uh, of monkeypox, but it may not prevent the actual disease manifestations. So these vaccines are in the strategic national stockpile and doses are being released. They've recently, I think, increased the number of doses that are being released um, of the, the Genios vaccine. There's been a lot of demand, certainly in New York City, the only place, uh, again, as of today's date, where this vaccine can be obtained is the Chelsea Sexual Health Clinic in Manhattan, and they've been vaccinating men who have sex with men. And their criteria uh, at the present time have been people uh, are ages 18 and older who report multiple or anonymous sex partners in the preceding 14 days. So uh, I know that they've run out of vaccine at times. Hopefully they are being restocked. And um, you know, if this infection does spread more broadly in the population, then obviously these criteria would need to be re uh, revisited. Marshall, thank you so much for joining us and getting us up to speed on this emerging virus and how we can keep ourselves and others safe. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaaetc.org. That's www.nikaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaaetc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaaetc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know.
This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.